Welcome to True News 365. Check out truenews365.com for more podcasts, videos, blogs, and commentary from a Christian and biblical worldview perspective. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's True News 365. Uh, thanks for joining me once again. Today, I want to get into another podcast this time on the Old Testament dietary laws. Um, how many of us have come across people who want to make us feel guilty for uh, for eating shellfish, <laughs> for eating lobsters, as yummy as they are, <clears throat> or our pork chops? Okay, with sautéed onions and peppers. I mean, could you imagine? Um, I love me some pork chops and onions. Um, yeah. Uh, so th- you got there's a lot of religions these days that will um, will have this thing where they they want to go back to the Old Testament dietary laws, and they just don't understand the context of the Old Testament. And why these things were established in the first place. Okay? And so sometimes what they want... The new thing is to bring on new secular understanding about foods and science and preparation of food and diseases and all that stuff. And they want to bring that back into the Old Testament. And they want to make an argument. This is why God did it. <clears throat> okay? But they were... Um, that that could be argued and that could be debated that some foods were healthier than others and <clears throat> especially when you when you look at the the book of Daniel and um you you see that he was healthier when he had his vegetables or whatever but that's all he had was vegetables and water but who's to say that lamb wouldn't be something that's uh healthy it 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 you know, so it didn't say that they weren't serving him lamb or any other kind of meats. It, it, it doesn't give us the information that people want to include. Okay, so we can debate that issue, but that's a secondary issue. Okay, but for the most part, there were greater reasons why these dietary laws were implemented in the Old Testament. All right, so should we be keeping the dietary laws in the New Covenant? It almost seems like these religions pop up and they find it necessary to judge, saying, oh, they're going to go to hell. You got uh, the, the fake Hebrew Israelites, or you have the uh, uh, the SDAs that also are really big into this legalism. Um, but but um, God didn't establish dietary laws early in the book of Genesis or in the Sinai Covenant. He, he didn't establish that for the Gentiles. Okay, so in Leviticus 11, I want to go to Leviticus 11, and I, I want to read uh, the first verse on in Leviticus 11. The Lord, the Lord spoke again to Moses and to Aaron, saying to them, verse 2, Speak to the sons of Israel saying, These are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Okay? He says, Speak to the sons of Israel. And nowhere here 
Will it tell you? And the surrounding nations are responsible for this as well. Okay? So if you go down to verse 45, it says, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. Okay? There's the reason. Okay? He's talking about food, and then he says, You're going to be holy. You're going to be separate. That's what holy means. You're going to be separate because I am separate. Separate from what? You're separating yourselves from the surrounding nations. Okay? This is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth. Verse 47, to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. Um, I think I'm reading from the New American Standard. Okay. Uh, first of all, he said, speak to the children of Israel and nowhere does he state that the surrounding nations must hold to these newly given dietary laws. Then he says, be holy for I am holy, meaning to be separate, separate from the surrounding nations. That's the reason why God wanted them. Um, he created these dietary laws, okay? Because we understand that food is a means of gathering together, of bringing uh, communities together, of meshing nations and ethnicities based on food. Okay, many similarities and stuff like that. To in order to do treaties, uh, people sometimes eat over these um, treaties and and these uh, 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 these contracts and stuff like that. They settle them over food. Is no different than than us today. Um, and number two, okay, so God didn't judge the surrounding nations for violating only the, um, for violating the the uh, dietary laws. Only the moral law. Again, not the dietary laws. Number three, nowhere in the new covenant will you see an imposition to keep dietary laws for the Gentiles. But instead, what you'll see is evidence and the demonstration that the dietary laws weren't binding upon the Gentiles. Okay? Number four, Noah. For Noah, God separated the animals based on which ones needed to be for sacrifice when he said two of certain kinds and seven of other kinds, etc. Okay, that was in the in the Noetic covenant. Now, number five, look at Mark chapter seven. What defiles you comes from in to out, not out to in. Okay, let's go to Mark seven, chapter 14. After he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Okay? If anyone hears, has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, why would he say that? Okay? Because there are people that are not going to want to accept what he's saying. So he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Okay? Um, and then it says, in verse 17, it says, When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And then he said, um, And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart 
but into his stomach, and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. Okay, it, it can't be more clear than that. Verse 20, and he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Now, isn't this what we're talking about in order to, to, to keep the law? These are the things that yet come out from inside the man. Okay? Um, it's from within. It can't, bear, it can't be more clear than in Mark chapter 7. Okay? Especially when he says, you know, um, that all foods are to be clean. Right? So, it can't be more clear than that. What does all foods clean mean? The legalists want to say that it means something else. I guess it's because it's just too clear. Now, let's go to um, Acts chapter 7. I mean, rather, chapter 10. Okay, Acts chapter 10. And speaking of Peter, okay, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But starting at verse 10. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay? Now, when Peter was hungry, no less, Christ ordered Peter to kill and eat. And he rebuked Peter, calling food, when Peter called food, that was to him unclean. And the Lord said, Don't call what I have sanctified clean, uh, rather unclean. He did this three times. Why did he use animals on an eating tray, okay, to a kosher, kosher first century Jew and, and to refer to Gentiles, right? Because some, some people says no, this just means that Gentiles are no longer unclean. But why did he use the foods? Why did he use the food then? When Peter was hungry. Okay? People want to say that this was only referring to calling Gentiles unclean. But what was on the tray? Food was on the tray. This demonstrates not only that the Gentiles are now no longer outside of the fellowship of faith, but neither will there be a separation among them because of food which was the original intention of segregating their diet in order to separate them from the surrounding nations. That was the purpose of the dietary laws to begin with, to separate from the Gentiles, because the Gentiles were unclean. They were considered unclean. But in the Levitical dietary law, it was the foods that were unclean, with no mention of the, Gen of the Gentiles, right? But that was the purpose, to separate them from the Gentiles, right? If the foods are clean, now 
so are the Gentiles in Christ. Okay? Food, as it is today, I repeat, has a lot to do with bridging cultures together, making covenants, fellowshipping. And God wanted them separate from the surrounding nations. The food, the, the, rather the nations, could come in to observe the Jewish ways, but it was a one-way invitation into the assembly of God's people. Okay? You couldn't come in and bring your culture, your, your ways. You had to adopt. Just like today, the Jews would not allow you. When you come into their religion, you have to adopt their ways and their customs and, their, and, and observe their feast and observe their food, all that stuff. That's how they see it today because they're stuck in their, they're still stuck in Judaism. They haven't recognized the, their Messiah, which brought about and fulfilled all of these things. Okay? The, uh, the disciples continued on in their traditions because they were their cultural tra traditions. They kept eating kosher, they kept um, their festivals, they kept their Sabbaths and their feasts right because of their past because of their culture and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it okay um if you want to continue those things it's quite all right if you want to be a gentile and 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 celebrate those things because israel is the 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 birthplace um and out of israel comes our messiah and because we love them as an as a as a nation and we revere them and we love them if we want to do that that's quite all right. But to impose that on a new covenant um, believer is now not only heretical, but it's also cult-like, okay? As you see a lot of these cults today um, imposing that. Uh, okay, um, if you go to Colossians 2.16, let's go to Colossians 2.16. It says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. It can't be more clear than that. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And then I also have, I want to look at Romans 14, okay? But 1 Corinthians 8. Do not judge your brother based on what they're eating. Eating prayed over food isn't a thing, okay? This, no, let's go first to Romans 14. Uh, one person has faith, uh, verse, uh, starting on verse 2. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to, is, is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Okay? Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Okay? Um, one person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and gives thanks to God for not uh, what is that? For not, for not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we, whether we live or die, we are of the Lord's. We are the Lord's, rather. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. This verse 10, but you, why do you judge your brother? Or 
you again. Why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And so this is what goes on over and over again. The judgment about what you eat or where you worship or how you worship. This constant, you know, and the people who call themselves Christians do this, right? I'm not even talking about people outside of the, of the essentials of the faith. Um, these are people who call themselves Christian, okay? 1 Corinthians 8, starting on verse 8. Now, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, concerning, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. That was one of the main concerns, because they were, they were being dedicated to idols. So um, he's basically saying there's no such thing as an idol, there's no such thing as a God, another God, so who cares? Basically, that's the language that you're reading here. Verse 5, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God. The Father, from whom all are things, and from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom all are all things, and we exist through Him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So they feel like they feel guilty because they, they they're afraid that hope hope this isn't sacrificed to an idol. You know, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Okay, so if someone sees you having who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So basically, the the important thing is verse eight. But food will not condemn us to God. Okay, that's the important thing. We are neither the worst if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. Okay? I mean, it's, it's plain and clear. Here is Christ, the first century Jew. Okay? The one who established the God of the Bible, of the left side of the Bible, is the same God of the right, right side of the Bible. He is the second person of the Trinity. And he is here in control. Rather, this is, this is, um, uh, this is Paul speaking on behalf of uh, the holiness of God. He's teaching. And, and, and we know that Paul here is a, uh, a, a, used to be of the law, and he was a Jew of all Jews, as he called himself, okay? So he's saying, you know, don't sweat these things, okay? And, and yet he is a Jew, and the Jews, you know, used to sweat these things, big time. So verse 8 is the important part here. So while this is not about offending a new, a new brother in the Lord who has left their pagan culture, sacrificing meat to idols, Paul is encouraging that what's important is knowing that food is food, and that food isn't going to add points for us uh, or to us before God. We're neither better off or worse off for eating it. Okay, let's go to Acts 15 in the during uh, the Jerusalem Council. Okay, um, I'm going to be taking a little break here, and I'm going to return um, in a little while. So yeah, so basically, I think that's the kicker in verse eight for 1 Corinthians 8, um, listen to the language, listen to the, to the, the way um, uh, Paul is speaking here, 
and we're going to go into the Jerusalem Council where you're going to um, where, where this whole issue of where the Judaizers are coming in and they're debating these things of what exactly is needed to be saved and uh, nothing about foods is discussed here. Uh, they were talking about circumcision, but the issue of foods and mandates and, and Sabbaths, none of that stuff was discussed, uh, and we're going to talk about that soon. Stand by. All right, I'm back. Okay, we're going we're gonna to now, um, we're talking about the dietary laws. Uh, Old Testament requirements, are they required for uh, New Covenant believers? Okay, and the answer is no, and this is why. Let's go to Acts chapter 15. Chap uh, Acts chapter 15, we went to 1 Corinthians uh, 8, we went to Romans 14, we hit um, Colossians 2.16, and uh, we, we hit Acts chapter 10, Mark 7, uh, what is this? We're, we're Leviticus 11. We're going all in, all into the the, the Old Testament. And as, as I said before, um, what we see is evidence that these things are not imposing, are imposed on the New Covenant uh, Christians, New Covenant believers. Um, uh, but people today want to continue. Uh, the demons of old are wearing uh, modern T-shirts. That's basically what it is. Okay, so the Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15. Uh, this start in verse uh, 1. Okay, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. They went all the way to Jerusalem for this. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia, Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers when they came to Jerusalem. They were welcomed by the church and the apostles, and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by the mouth of the gent by by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of, of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test? By placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Okay? James then says in verse 19, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Okay? That's it. That was it. Okay? And they write a letter to the Gentiles. He does exactly that. 
They write to, a letter to the Gentiles to be distributed among the, their congregations, warning them of the legalist Jews and stating the same thing. Okay? Um, uh, basically saying, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and to, this is verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. This is the letter that he wrote to them to the congregations and the church, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Okay? So that's it. Uh, they didn't impose any dietary laws, any Sabbaths, any of that. Okay? So if there was any place and any time for the distinctions to be made concerning what was required of the Gentiles, it would have been at the Jerusalem Council. They even mentioned animals strangled and blood, which had to do with animals, but no time did they say to keep from unclean animals or identify animals as unclean. So it's clear from the biblical evidence that the dietary laws from the Old Testament are not binding for the Gentiles in the New Covenant. Many have tried to say that they are binding. And if they're binding, then we're in sin if we do not keep them. Now, it becomes legalism by way of judging whether one is right with God outside of grace. And especially, especially if those who eat pork are in sin, then they're in disobedience. And if they're in disobedience, then they're still under God's wrath. You see, the implications where someone can judge your salvation based on dietary laws? In the teachings of the New Testament concerning law and grace, we see that if it's not of grace, meaning everything that Christ has already done for us, then it's law. And we're no longer under the law. They're saying there's something we need to do in order to be right, in, in right standing with God. That, ladies and gentlemen, is legalism. While the law um, should be written in our hearts to do them, holding to a ceremonial and dietary law that wasn't binding upon Gentiles is the worst case of legalism there is, especially since the early church literally dealt with this same thing in Romans, in Galatians, in Hebrews, etc. This is what we see. The same thing could be said and argued concerning keeping the Sabbath. There are other scriptures that clearly show that the Sabbath is in the Old Testament, that the, the Sabbath that was, that was uh, in the Old Testament and it was binding upon the children of Israel and what it actually is in the New Covenant. Okay, That's a little bit more spiritual, um, but it's very clear and Christ um, demonstrated and taught um, how to see these things, but that's for a later podcast. Um, with regard to food, all is to be prayed for regardless. Okay, People want to make the argument that it's been scientifically demonstrated that certain foods are not good for you or that they induce diseases and bad health, but those are secular arguments. That doesn't hold historical or geographical weight with regard to who eats what, from what nation, nor who is able to eat what, when and how, based on culture, based on ability, in poorer lands and, and people that live in, in poverty, people have to eat what there is, whatever they can find. There are parts on the planet where people have to boil leaves in order to stay alive. 
You're telling me it's a sin to boil leaves or to kill a pig or chase a fish or whatever you can afford or to find in order to eat for survival? Proper eating has a lot to do with having choices and being blessed and fortunate to be able to eat what is, is either beneficial or what is available. If this is the case, people are then under the wrath of God for eating whatever they can get their hands on all over the world in poor stricken nations, okay? And I doubt if God is that much of a meanie that he's going to care about what they're eating, okay? Legalism. That's what it is, legalism. It's another form of works righteousness religion that says that I'm good because I do this or that. I make myself feel clean, pure, and justifies because of what I eat. I'm obedient, but you're not. I'm going to judge you based on what you eat. You can't be saved because you eat this or that. But God has taken every which way from here to forever for us to be able to hold works as a means of meriting God's favor. No one is saying that you shouldn't eat right or eat more healthy or do this or that. But as soon as it becomes a good work favored by God, you become a Pharisee. Because most people do and then judge those who don't. And that's a violation of Romans 14, judging your brother in the Lord. Okay, so that's what I have today. Uh, those are the dietary laws. They're not binding for a new covenant believers. All right, you can do them if you want to. You cannot do them if you want to. Eat your pork. With sauteed onions. Okay? Thanks for listening. Until next time, God bless.